Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. All right. Welcome this morning to Faith Assembly. Listen, if you're a guest, I'm glad you're here. Great to have you. And there should be a visitor card in front of you somewhere. Uh, take your Bibles out and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're, uh, we're talking about fear for these next several weeks. We'll be in a series on fear. Men and women in America are plagued by fear. Listen, it is all around us. It, it grips our hearts. And, and there are several fears we're going to be focusing on over these next several weeks. But I've got good news for you. God has an antidote for every single fear that's out there. There, there's no fear that can bind us down and mess us up. God has the solution somewhere, somehow. And, and so the verse we're going to be looking at is our theme verse for this series is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. And by the time we're done, you're going to have this verse memorized, uh, but it goes like this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now let's say that together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Isn't that incredible? Even though the world is gripped by fear through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid. Because in him I have power, I have love, and I have a sound mind. To contradict whatever fear might be out there to grip you in one way, shape, or form. Now, this morning we're going to tackle maybe the greatest fear of all, and that's that fear of death. And so uh, uh, take a look at my podium today. There it is, right there, fear of death. And, and uh, so we'll be talking about that, and that God has not given us this spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Uh, man is desperately afraid of dying. It may be the greatest fear that we have is death itself. In fact, all fears may be kind of culminating that last and final fear. The word of God calls it the last enemy. But I've got good news for you. There's power through the Lord. Turn to Hebrews 2 and let's stand together this morning for the reading of God's word. I think death is that great fear because somehow you cross through this valley of the unknown and those who die have not returned to tell us what the journey is like and so we fear that. We fear the unknown. We fear death. And so let's take a look at what God's word has to say this morning. Hebrews 2 and verse number 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those, look at this, who all their lives were held in slavery, and look what it says, by their fear of death. Jesus Christ came to set us free from that fear of death. Man is held captive to it. Man is in chains to it. Man is in slavery to this fear of death, but through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his death, he has set us free from the fear of death. Amen. Let us pray. Father, 
We love you so much. You're an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, for your presence today. And I pray, God, that as we bring your word out this morning, you'll open up our hearts. I pray, God, if there are those in the house today who are still held in captive by this fear of death, that this morning they will be set free through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love you and we give you the praise and glory for your sweet presence. And we ask all this in your holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look alive this morning, and then you may be seated. Man has desperately looked for a way to uh, overcome this fear of death, to explain why death occurs, to explain why death happens, and to, to overcome this in some way or to ease their fear as they approach that time of coming death. And so, man, is, it's just always there. It's always in the back of our mind. The Bible says that death is the last enemy. Death is the last enemy that every single one of us will face. It's an abnormal condition. Death makes slaves out of free men. The fear of death literally puts us into slavery or puts us into bondage, but the Bible says, the word of God says, we don't need to fear death. And there's a reason for that, and I'm gonna share some of those reasons today. I want you to turn to Psalm 23, and we're gonna spend a little time there this morning. Psalm 23, probably the beloved psalm in the word of God. Psalm 23, and look at verse number four. It says there, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now what an incredible psalm, and you've, you, many of you know this by heart, you've heard it, it's, if you've been to any funeral service at all, it's usually read at the funeral services, and so we're very familiar with, the old, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David writes this psalm, it's a psalm of David, and, and, and he himself had been a shepherd. And so this is called the Psalm of the Shepherd. And you, you read this story, you start with verse one and go through those six verses. And, and what would happen is the shepherd every day would get up and he would take his flocks out and he would go and help them find the green pastures and he would lead them out of the fence gates and he would take them and every night he would go back in, he would go to sleep in his house and, and the sheep would be safe in their pen. Uh, but but it, there would come a time when they would overgraze a certain area of the property or the land and so... It, became necessary for the shepherd to take them on to higher pastures. And he would take these same sheep and he would lead them out just like he did every other day. But on this particular day, he would not be home that night. Uh, he would be going up through the valleys and up through the mountain and he would work his way through very dangerous terrain until he could get him to fresh pastures and higher ground. And, and there he would stay with his sheep through the autumn months, sometimes uh, two or three months at a time while they would graze up there on new land because sheep like us are dumb animals. And they could overgraze the ground and they would eat and they would keep their heads down and they would eat and eat and eat and stay there right there until they could starve themselves to death because they would eat up all the fields. And so it was necessary for him to move them on up to higher grounds, higher pastures. And as he would make that journey, it's a journey he knew quite well. He had been that trek many times before. So he was well prepared on taking them along that journey. But it could be very dangerous along the way. There were poisonous plants that could infect the flocks. 
as they would travel and journey. He needed to make sure they didn't eat those. And, and there were wild animals along those ravines and crevices and those dark areas and those dark shadows cast by the valley that could come down and, and, and kill the flock. And, and because it would be going through valleys, if it would become a rainstorm could come up, flash floods could come up, and sheep could be washed off of the ravines and down into the water, and they could be destroyed in their journey. Uh, and all those things would happen along the wayside. So it was a very dangerous trek or very dangerous journey the shepherd took them on. But I will tell you, nothing caught the shepherd by surprise because he had been that way himself. He'd already journeyed that way before. He was well-equipped. He was well-prepared. He had a rod and a staff to fend off the wild animals, and he, was, he was, had those in his hands in case of any emergency along the way. I'm going to tell you, we have a good shepherd. And there's going to come a day when he's going to take us all on a similar journey. And the valley is going to be dark. It's going to be covered with shadows. But I will tell you, Jesus Christ has already made that trek. And because he's already made that trek, he knows what is before us. uh, And he is there to guide us from the valley all the way up to the high places and the high plains. We'll forever find green pastures. So I want to take a look at this psalm, and I want to take a look at some observations about death from Psalm 23. And the first is simply this. Death itself is mysterious. There's a mystery that surrounds death because notice what the word says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow is somehow a little bit mysterious along the way. And so as we look at this this morning, we've got to first ask ourselves, why die? Why, Why do we have to die in the first place? We don't understand it. Why why is there going to come a time when this life is going to be over and we die? The problem is the Bible teaches us sin has affected the entire human race. It is a reality of living today, and because of sin, disease entered our world, death entered our world, uh, sickness entered our world. It all came in because of sin. Listen to what Romans 5.12 tells us. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. Because of sin, because of Adam and Eve. Blame it on Adam. Blame it on Eve. Take your frustration out on them because through One man, sin entered the world. And because all of us are descendants of Adam, of that one man, we live in a rebellious, sinful world, death also came in. Now you say, why why do good people die? Why do nice people die? Why do Christians die? Why do they go through the portals of death? Because they're good people. They've been saved. They've got the righteousness of Christ on them. Uh, It's because we live in a planet that is inhabited by rebellious people. And the one consequence of man's rebellion is sin and death and sickness and death. And God doesn't send this plague upon people. It is the consequences of man's actions. It's what we've reaped. It's death. 
And although we are new creatures in Christ Jesus and old things pass away and all things become new, we remain a part of the human family. A family that is tainted by sin and death. The cause of sickness and death is not God. In fact, the Bible says it is the hated enemy of God and the hated enemy of man is death itself. So he's not the cause of it. It's not necessarily for personal sin that a person dies. For life and death can't be reduced to a mathematical equation. You did this and so now you've got to pay this consequence. It's just a fact of sin in the entire human race. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13. I remember the last time I preached. I preached from this passage in 9-11, 2011, right after 9-11, right after the Twin Towers fell. The Lord led me to Luke chapter 13. And I, I want to read it to you because I remember when that happened. I remember the towers fell. 3,000 plus people had been killed. Planes falling down in Pennsylvania. Uh, terrorists hit the towers. And all kinds of people died on that day. And, 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 and this church was maybe as full as it's ever been on that Sunday morning. People came from everywhere looking solace, looking for comfort, looking for answers. And, and so on that very pivotal day, God led me to this passage, Luke chapter 13. And I want to read it again to you because it answers some questions or maybe even leaves some more questions for us. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now Pilate's killing people. Jesus answered, do you not think that all these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now the bottom line is Jesus is, is not answering the question, why do sometimes good people die and bad people live? And why sometimes do bad people die and good people live? And disasters come, and towers fall down, and we can't explain it, and we don't have a reason, and we don't understand it. Uh, and, and Jesus really doesn't answer that question. He is saying death itself is not a result of cause and effect. People we love, people we care about, they're taken from us. We don't understand that. It, it, it doesn't make sense to our logic. It just doesn't add up. And Jesus says, basically, death itself is somewhat mysterious. We don't always know why. And sometimes when we lose a loved one, we rack our brain and we say, why God? How could we have prevented this? Why did this happen? Why did they get sick? Why did they die? Why the accident? And all these questions come. And we know death is a fact of life, but every time we are faced with it ourselves, it becomes very, very mysterious. And we say, why, God? It strikes unexpectedly. We, we look for a reason. We look for an explanation. We try to figure it all out, and we try to make some kind of sense of it. But, but it's a shadow of death. We don't understand in the shadows, because in the shadows, you can't see clearly. It's dark. And you're going through that valley and you're going through that shadow and you don't understand it and you don't have the answers and it is very, very mysterious. Uh, but one thing for sure that you need to know, God is not to blame. 
Don't blame God. Death is our enemy. Death is the last enemy. Death is something that God has defeated. And so it is not from God. It's a result of sin in this wicked world. In fact, when tragedy strikes, when your loved one dies, God is the first to grieve. He's the first to feel your pain. And you see that in the word of God. And so that takes me to my second observation. And it's simply this. There is comfort in times of death because the verse goes on to say, thou art with me. Let's say that together. Thou art with me. Even in the valleys, uh, even in the shadows, God is with me. And because God is with me, I shall not fear. The key to overcoming fear is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is with me, I shall not fear. We don't have to face death alone. He and he alone will guide you through the valley. Even though I'm going through the valley, my shepherd is right there. He's got his rod and he's got his staff. He knows the way and he's taking me right through that valley and I don't have to be afraid, hallelujah. God is with me. There will be valleys for all of us, and how do I make it through them? With Christ, I can face every valley, every darkness, uh, every time of death fearlessly. Even though we possess this knowledge, then we gotta ask ourselves, why is it so hard? We know this as children of God intellectually, but still when it all comes down to it, why is it still so hard? The reason is because you're dealing with more than memories. When I when my 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 wife passed away unexpectedly, very a little over seven years ago now, when she passed away very unexpectedly, there's the dealing with the memories, but I didn't really have a lot of regrets. We had a wonderful marriage together and a wonderful family together. But I think for me, the hardest thing to deal with was the unmet expectations because we were at a stage in our life where my kids were gone and the house was finished and we're thinking about grandkids and vacations and what life laid ahead of us and where the church was going and all those kinds of things we would share together. And I think when you lose a loved one, sometimes the hardest group grief or anger that you deal with is these unfulfilled dreams that you have with somebody. And then all of a sudden they're not there. And, and, and you're, you're by yourself and you're working your way through it. And you're not just battling sorrow, you're battling disappointment of unmet dreams. You're also battling anger. You get mad. And it may be on the surface, and sometimes people are real good about letting it out, and and sometimes people take and they suppress it, and they push it all down on the inside, but anger lives in sorrow's house. Let me tell you how it works. You get angry at yourself. What could I have done differently? You get angry at life itself. You get angry at the hospital because that's maybe where she passed away or he passed away. Or, or you get angry at the car where it happened in and you look at that wreck and you get mad at that car. You get mad at that vehicle. But most of all, all these kind of angers, uh, you may place it here or there or somewhere else, but the bottom line is we get angry with God. We don't want to say that. We're afraid of what's going to happen to us if I say that. 
But when you boil it all down, you may place your anger here, 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 somewhere else. But the bottom line is, it kind of becomes a deep-seated anger at God. And the anger expresses itself in a three-letter word, why? Why? Why her? Why now? Why us? And the, and the bottom line is, only God knows. And so we rack our brains searching for answers. But God says, I will be with you. My rod and staff will bring you through. He is the foundation that we can stand on in times of crises. God journeys with us. Now here's the thing you need to know about God. Listen to me. God is good. He's good. Let me read some verses to, to kind of back that up because, because when in times of death, we doubt his goodness. And what God wants us to do is not trust, ask why, but to trust his goodness. He challenges to trust him even in these valleys. Listen, listen to this verse, Psalm 20, uh, 25, a couple chapters later, verses seven and eight. You are good, Lord. The Lord is good and right. Look at Psalm 34 and verse eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so though we don't always understand his actions, uh, we need to learn how to trust his heart. God is good. Turn to uh, Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, look at verses one and two. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Now, Isaiah writes, he says, the righteous are taken away that they might be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. Death for the child of God is a liberation. It is a removal from evil. And he says, though they, though they lie down in the grave, they rest in peace. Isn't that incredible? Death is God's way of taking us from evil. He, it, he takes us away from disease. He takes us away from pain. He takes us away from suffering out of this world. Uh, and we don't understand it. Uh, and though we may wish they were with us for a little bit longer, we say, God, why couldn't have had a, a few more months or a few more years? Uh, our loved one, ironically, are the first to accept death. Now, let me explain that to you. We're grieving. We're hurting. We're bargaining with God. We're saying, why, why, why? But immediately at death, they're celebrating. Now, now follow me here. While we're shaking our heads in disbelief, they're in glory, lifting up their hands in worship. While we're mourning at the grave, they're walking around heaven marveling at how cool it is. How awesome it is. So when the righteous die, when the devout die, they are at rest. It is perfect, absolute peace. While we're questioning God, they're praising God. God will lead you through the valley of death. 
Death is not the end. It is merely a door into a higher, higher ground and more exalted life with Christ, an intimate life with Christ that is phenomenal. He takes us through the valley. We go through the valley, but we come up on higher ground. That's why I don't have to fear death. Hallelujah. Which leads me to my third observation. It's simply this. Death has been conquered. Death has been defeated. Death no more has rule or reign or power over me. I am no longer held captive by the fear of death. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. I want you to see it in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, look if you would, at chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jump down, if you would, to verse 54. And this is just this way he concludes this powerful resurrection chapter. When the perishable was... uh, uh, verse 54, when the parables have been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, I, I, I want to tell you a story. It, it, it occurred in June 1815. The English military are fighting at Waterloo, and they're there, and the Duke of Wellington is fighting Napoleon. And you know about the battles that's going on in Europe and in Brussels, and Napoleon's conquering the world, and but really the last bastion that's going to stop him from doing anything is England. And England still remains, and they send the Duke of Wellington out there, and his armies are there, and they meet on that battlefield. And, and across the sea, across the harbor, all of England is waiting breathlessly to see who won the battle. And what happens is the ship began to come through and they begin to signal the land back in England uh, and they signaled it back like this. Wellington defeated and then the fog began to set in and that's all they got. Wellington defeated. The Duke of England defeated. We've lost the war. And England for a, for a, a time went into a time of mourning and grieving, and all is lost, and all hope is gone. Uh, But shortly later, the fog began to clear, and another boat came by, and they got, this time, they got the entire message, and it went like this. Wellington defeated the enemy. And all of a sudden, England uh, begins to shout and celebrate and rejoice, uh, and the entire country goes wild with joy uh, because Wellington defeated the enemy. In the fog of our pain and grief, uh, in that shadow of death, uh, sometimes all we get is this person is defeated, it is done, it is over, but that is only part of the message. Uh, Death seems like the final insult in our life, uh, but the bottom line is Christ defeated death. It's done. It's over. There is reason to celebrate today. Uh, In the fog of our grief, when it begins to clear just a little bit, it becomes obvious death is the defeated enemy. The one which Christ, the one which God uses for his eternal purposes until he ultimately destroys it. Uses death to take us home. 
uses death to give us peace and rest and life and joy. He uses death as his instrument to bring us back to him. And one day, death will be defeated once and for all. And there'll be no more death. And there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more separation. There'll be no more tears. Because death has been defeated. I, I want to read another scripture to you. Look at 2 Corinthians. Just, just go over one, one book, a few chapters. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Hallelujah. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Everything on this life, everything you see is temporary. What you don't see is yet eternal. And so my final point is found in verse number six, Psalm 23. He finally gets his shepherd to sheep to the high pasture. He concludes this chapter, this psalm. Uh, He says in verse six, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And here's the promise. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. Everybody say forever. Forever. Now, listen to me. If heaven is our forever home, what does that tell us about our home here on the earth? Temporary. It is our temporary home, it is our short term housing. This earth, this world is not our home. Our homeland is in heaven. And when you lose a spouse and when you lose a child or when you lose a a parent or you lose somebody else that is very close to you, know that they are in their forever home and we are still stuck in our temporary homes. And your forever home is gonna be a whole lot better than this slumlord's down here. I don't care where you live. You're in the slums compared to what heaven's gonna be like. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Deep down, you know you're not home yet. Now I want you to turn to John 14. He's got disciples that are fearful and they are troubled. And so he's gonna give them a word of comfort. And what he does is he talks about this new home that he's preparing for them. Look at John chapter 14 and verse number one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may be with me where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, the Bible says Jesus himself pledges to come back and take us home. He's not sending an angel, not sending an emissary. Nobody else is coming back. He's coming back to take us home. He is the good shepherd. He's gonna lead us here from this life onto the higher plane in heaven with him. He himself is taking us home. 
And Jesus says very clearly to his disciples, don't be afraid. They are about to go through that valley of the shadow of death because Jesus Christ is about to be crucified. And he says, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. I've got to go get your home ready. To to God, the grave is a no-brainer. It's nothing. It is nothing to God. Follow me here. He speaks as casually as a mechanic who looks at your car. And you take that car in, and all you're thinking is, the engine is shot. I need an entire new engine. I've blown my head gasket. The car's messed up. There's no hope. And you're very anxious about what can happen to your car. And the mechanic looks at you, and he makes this statement. Sure, the engine needs an overhead and an overhaul, but don't worry. I can do it. I can do it. And God is that chief mechanic, and he says, don't worry, your engine may be blown, it may be shot, you may not be moving anywhere, but I can do it, I can take care of it. For us, it's an ordeal. For God, it's no big deal. We must trust God, not only that what he does is best, but he knows what's ahead. And so we trust in God. When you look at the, 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 the early Christians, the early church, and you look at pagan Rome and, and how they responded, and they started the persecution, and they're killing these believers, and they're facing death, they're facing martyrdom, and yet when, he, when they took those Christians to death, they burned them at the stake, they, they sawed them in two, they threw them to the lions, these believers went out praising the Lord. And they're worshiping God as they are being killed right there on the spot. And these martyrs loved Jesus Christ more than their own lives. And many of them were given a chance to recant. They would say, all you have to do is deny God and we'll spare your life. But they loved God more than their own life. And so they would refuse to recant and turn their back on God. And at that point, they would be executed. It was their transforming belief in the personal resurrection and in heaven that motivated these saints to go bravely before death with hymns of praise on their lips. Now the believers, when they were in Rome and they're, they're hiding for their lives, they, they hid in a place called the catacombs. And it was down below Rome. And, and, and they, would, they, they would have their services there, but often they would take their dead down to the catacombs and bury their dead there down underground. And, and later it had been excavated what was written on some of those walls and some of those tombs down in the catacombs. And this is what, between the second and fourth century, these believers were being buried down there. Here's some of the things that were said on their epitaphs. He sleeps but lives. I like this one. The soul lives unknowing of death and constantly rejoices in the vision of Christ. And here's one, I believe because my Redeemer lives and in the last day he will raise me from the earth that in my flesh I shall see the Lord. And so this is what is written about their death. Death for them was a mere transformation, a rebirth into a new eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so when I do a funeral service for a child of God, when I preach this, I declare this is just the shell. This is his body. It will decay. It will go into the ground. One day it will come out of the grave, a brand new body. But right now, his spirit, the real person, is with the Lord right now. 
right now. The grave for the child of God is only a place of resting for the body. Now, the Christians came to call these places underground at Rome in the catacombs. They came to call that place the cemetarium, cemetorium, cemetorium. And the word cemetorium meant resting place. Now, follow me here. Up till that time, that word had never been used for a, a graveside, cemetorium, resting place. Because the pagans, when they thought about death, they thought about anguish, torture, or annihilation. They never had the term resting place, cemetorium, in their vocabulary. So now when you see cemeteries, where we get our word from, cemetorium from, when you see those all around America, that word literally means resting place. It is an entirely Christian concept. It is not a pegging concept. Understand what I'm saying? Because for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not a resting place. Cemetery. Resting place. The resurrection is the single issue that distinguishes the way believers face death and those who do not know Christ face death because in Christ Jesus we have hope of a new life in him. This world is temporary, it is passing away. The reality of our immortality in heaven is simply beyond us. We can't begin to comprehend what heaven's gonna be like. It is gonna be so grand, it is gonna be so glorious. We have no frame of reference, nothing on which we compare it to in this earth. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthians, no eye is seen, nor ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God prepared for those who love him. We can't comprehend it. We can't wrap our minds around it. For the believers, we need not fear death. It is not the end of life, but simply the end of sin, simply the end of sorrow. It is the end of suffering. Our lives continue, and they go on with him forever. That's why I need not fear death. Turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Look at verse number three. And I heard a voice from heaven from the throne saying, now a dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What are we separated from at death? Not life. Our life goes on in a fuller dimension. What are we separated from? No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to close with this story. Dr. Barn, Gary, Barnhorse, Gary Barnhouse tells this story. He tells of his wife who had passed away. And uh, he's got the children in the back seat, and they're leaving the graveside. And the kids are crying, and it's tough, and he's trying to come up with some words of comfort for his family in the passing of his wife. And about that time, they're driving down the road, a, a large moving van 
drives by going the other direction. And the way the sun was positioned, the shadow of that moving van for just a moment passed over their car. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit dropped something into Dr. Barnhouse's heart. And he asked the kids, he asked the kids something. He said, kids, let me ask you a question. And they said, sure, Dad, what? He said, children, would you rather be run over by that truck or by the shadow? And the kids looked back at him and they said, well, of course, Dad, we'd rather be over by the shadow. A, A shadow can't hurt us. To which Dr. Barnhouse replied, did you know that 2,000 years ago, the truck of death ran over the Lord Jesus Christ in order that only its shadow might pass over us? Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. Christ died the death for us so that now the only thing we'll ever experience is the shadow of death because death can't hurt me anymore. Death can't harm me. Death has no hold over me. I can't be held by the fear of death anymore because Christ has set me free and delivered man from all his life who was held in slavery to the fear of death. Jesus Christ has set me free. And so I can say with the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it is just a shadow. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And that place is gonna be so incredible. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes today, if you would. Just bow your head for a moment. Thank you, mighty God. Hallelujah. I thank you, God. You've taken away the sting of death. The fear of death is gone. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray, God, for your sweet spirit to come and settle into this place right now. We know you're here, but speak to the hearts of men and women today in this service. But Lord, there may be those who are still bound by that fear of death because they're not sure if they died where they would spend eternity. Lord, today they can come and find you and know you who has that incredible gift of everlasting life. Do you the work that only you can do. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.